0: Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks, and I'm joined by the Eric Hag to my Eric Tenharg. It's just impeach. Good day to you, Ryan. Really, are scraping the barrel, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. Just now, <laughs> have been doing this for nearly four years now. Um, it's it's getting difficult to come up with them each week. Anyway, how are you?
1: I- I'm very good. There's been there's been some good news this week that's um, made me happy obviously oh. we'll, we'll get onto that at some point this week more football related but as a supporter of the club I'm, I'm relatively pleased but you know there's also been some things that have irritated me like not having a car for the next three months that's irritating but oh. you know back on the bike
0: let's go and getting up at this time in the morning we've got up extra early to record this episode have
1: not we yeah spot on it's um it is very very early just to uh, oblige you um Oh, Hail oh, King Ryan, all that. Yeah, Thank everything you, revolves around you, as usual.
0: I appreciate it. But we just want to get this episode out as early as possible <laughs> to let our listeners know that we're thinking about them. Well, welcome to the number one championship specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yeah, we've had a, another midweek round of games which have really opened things up in some ways but closed other things off I think that's a fair way of putting it so we'll go through that very shortly Uh, and then we'll talk about some of the news from the past few days of course Derby's potential takeover which could potentially be finally happening as justin was just alluding to very exciting we'll talk about that and a couple of other bits as well and then we'll finish up with the craig bryson pub quiz right at the end but before we jump into the show may i tell you listener, about our friends at Fansbet, the fan-led sports betting company committed to supporting charities and causes which are important to fans do check them out by clicking the link in the description of this episode they've got an exclusive offer for listeners to the second tier you can get a welcome offer of bet £10, get £30, plus 10 free spins. Not bad, eh? Especially with a big weekend of sport coming up. UK mobile registrations only. Terms and restrictions apply. Full details on site. 18 plus. Please do gamble responsibly. Visit begambleaware.org for more info. And do also check out Fans Bet responsible gambling tools. Just in West Brom 2, Bournemouth. Nil. How West Brom go from being really poor against Birmingham to beating a potential Premier League side is beyond me. But what a result.
1: What a result and a really good performance, especially, as you say, after Sunday, which I think Steve Bruce said himself was one of the worst games he's ever been involved in. And, and quite frankly, it was a terrible game to have to try and cover as well for the podcast. It was, it was scraping the barrel. But yeah, this this was quite a, a spectacular turnaround. And um, they took the chances when they came as well, which which is absolutely fantastic. They took advantage of, of some really poor defending from Bournemouth and I think one thing you've got to do um, or what you, what you shouldn't do ever is, is give Steve Bruce teams their head start because if they, they have a sniff of a result um, and go two goals ahead in, in, in quick succession quite early in the game, more than likely they're going to see it out and credit to S-Brom they did here.
0: Justin, how's a 33-year-old Andy Cowell be in the high line?
1: Yeah, I've got this in my notes. I'm absolutely <laughs> astonished because that's twice he's done it this season because he did get Swansea, didn't he, for Reading, mm. which is quite frankly... Amazing. He's never done it in his career, but he's done it twice in a season. It is is astonishing. And I think that just uh, lends to um, Bournemouth's bad defending once again. But credit to Andy Carroll, because he did beat the offside track like a seasoned pacey striker.
0: I do think, to be fair to him, I always think Andy Carroll gets a bit of a hard time. And I think he's actually quicker. Than people, yeah. think. I don't think yeah. he's one of these lumbering you know stereotypical target men who has absolutely no pace but is all aerial ability and what have you I think he is actually quite quick but when you consider his age the injury problems he's had it is still quite impressive considering <laughs> he's up against Nat Phillips and Adam Smith who are what they must be in their prime years mustn't they? So, yeah, yeah. It, it was surprising to see that happen. Um, but, yeah, Bournemouth defensively were really poor. And were really poor going forward. So, I thought West Brom defended brilliantly, to be fair to mm-hmm. them. But Bournemouth creating just two good chances throughout the whole game um, was... Quite poor, really, from their standards. Once it, they just kept putting crosses into the box, which wasn't ever going to work. When you've got a West Brom defence including the likes of Matt Clark and Cal Bartley, Um yeah. Bournemouth had 17 shots, none on target, and mm. I think that goes some way to describing some of the problems they've had in the past few months, really, hasn't it? They chance creation hasn't always been a problem, but they don't often create an abundance of golden chances, do they? It's quite often half chances. And in this game in particular, they just didn't get many of them on target or any of them on target.
1: (laughs) Well, this is why we say they're relying a lot on their individual quality in the team, which is why they're a side that aren't, they're just not as good as other teams in the division. Um, And I think that's a frustrating thing about Bournemouth is uh, I'm left here almost 40 games in questioning why they still haven't hit their peak. It is is a strange thing to say the, the fact that they're second and they've won so many points and we haven't seen them hit their peak or at their at the very best. Um, and with the quality that they've got, it, yeah, the, the points that they've got is is down to the quality that they have in the team rather than how they play. And I think that's you've got to point your finger at Scott Parker once again. And this is this all stems into the, all the reservations we have about Bournemouth under Scott Parker because they're a good team. There's, there's no there's no qualms here. There's nothing against. Um, Bournemouth as a football club or even the team. It's a very, very good team. But I just don't think Scott Parker's demand to really get the best. And they're being dragged into a battle once again because they've put in another unconvincing performance. And that's what it's down to for Bournemouth.
0: Well, Justin, let me ask you the question. I hate using this term, but I'm, I'm struggling to think of a better term. So for the lack of a better term, could Bournemouth bottle it? <laughs>
1: I, I think they could. Um and I, it's down to again it's it's down to Scott Park's management of the team um and 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 how he gets the best out of players as as a group rather than as individuals. Um I think his Fulham team bottled it a couple of years ago again you got the likes of Ivan Cavaliero, Antony and on and Alexander Mitrovic up as a front three. You've got to go some way to make an dent on the top 2 and they didn't. They finished fourth. Um, so in, in some ways they bottled it. And again, I think there's potential to do it. I don't think they will, um, but they certainly do have a potential to to really drop off because you've got Forest breathing down the necks on the same number of games, quite a few points off, but Forrest are very consistent and they're in a very good moment in the, in the season for them. And even Huddersfield potentially, if, if if Bournemouth continue to drop points, I don't I don't see why if Huddersfield can't go on another run of games like they did before the international break. I don't see why they can't also make Bournemouth sweat a little bit.
0: Well this is their first hurdle, once it in their horror final nine games, and arguably one of their easier ones, and they've stumbled already. They have got much trickier games coming up over the next month. I mean the next four games alone are Sheffield United away, Middlesbrough at home. Yeah. Coventry away and then Fulham at home. Even if Bournemouth win two of them, you suspect Forest will make up ground in that time. So it goes without saying Bournemouth have got to up their their game. It's been a while since anyone has been completely convinced by them. Sure, they've had a couple of wins recently, but you can question the standard standard of opposition they faced in those two wins. Mm -hmm. And then before that, they were dropping points to the likes of Peterborough and Reading. So Mm -hmm. I think I'd be very concerned if I was a Bournemouth fan right now, and I think they will be looking over their shoulder, to say the very least. And speaking of the team who will be looking to track down Bournemouth as quickly as they can, Nottingham Forest, they won for the fourth game running, this time a 2-0 victory over Coventry, and this was another incredible performance from Forest, wasn't it, Justin?
1: It really was, because they've come up against a very good Coventry. And as you said, Bournemouth have got to play Coventry um, at Coventry, which is going to cause a lot of problems for them. And and Forrest were able to just sweep them aside with, with relative ease, albeit at the city ground. Um, and there was a lot of players here who really played well. I think Keenan Davis was unplayable. I think James Garner ran the midfield. He dominated the ball with and without um, or in and out of possession. Um, and it was a near complete midfield performance from him. And, yeah, again, just just left with a lot of praise for Nottingham Forest, which is why we said at the weekend, if they do end up in the playoffs, which might not happen, they might end up in the top two, which is why we said if they do end up in the playoffs, it'd be quite easy to see them as favourites under Steve Cooper. But there's a lot up in the air at the moment, and there's a lot of football to be played, so it's quite hard to make that judgment. But it's hard to not fancy them under this current run of form.
0: Definitely. Keenan Davis, as you mentioned there, was brilliant. It's the... It's the stereotype that I hate the most, but he's got great feed for a big man. Um, but everything just seemed to stick to him. He's great at holding up the ball. And Brennan Johnson got on the score sheet again. Surprise, surprise. He's just very good at football, isn't he? And Forrest, every element of their team right now is looking good. They've even got Jack Colback playing regularly at left back, but you wouldn't have guessed that yeah. he's, you know, a centre mid, um, a fairly average at centre mid at that. But he's been, you know, Seamless moving Mm. into left-back while Max Lowe's been out injured Um, and it was just another great win so at this point Justin what chance do you give Forrest of actually pipping Bournemouth to the top two because I'm guessing we both agree they're the most likely side to challenge them at this point
1: yeah, they're licking the lips, aren't they? It's probably a little bit of a pipe dream at the moment because they need Bournemouth to drop a few more points. But considering that Forest are a level on games and if, if Bournemouth go winless uh, or pointless in the next couple, because obviously the Sheffield United game, Sheffield United at home at the weekend, uh, sorry, Sheffield United away at the weekend for Bournemouth is a pretty difficult game. They're different beast at home, Sheffield United. So Forrest, again, will be looking at the, at the fact that if we get a win here, we could really put the pressure on. So... At this point, if I was to give it a percentage chance, I'd say 50-60% at the moment. It will dr- change drastically after this weekend.
0: It's quite big still. Uh, is it? Yeah.
1: I'm not, I am I, I think they could. I'm not entirely convinced um, that the, the there's still, there's a chance and it's it's bigger than a slim chance is what I'm trying to get at.
0: All right. Okay. Well, it's an eight point gap, isn't it, with eight games remaining? And usually that would sound like too much of a stretch in a promotion push. But we all know this is no ordinary situation, isn't it? Because Bournemouth love to drop points. They're an inconsistent side at the best of times. And when they've got this horror run of games, particularly their next four... Um, You've got to fancy forest to gain ground in the next couple of weeks, haven't you? And I think they'll mm-hmm. definitely do that. Before Bournemouth have had the cushion of other sides not being consistent enough, and that's why, despite them not playing at their highest standards, they still had a very good chance of just getting over the line, mm-hmm. um, despite not, you know, cruising over. But Forest have played just as many games, and Forest are consistent. They've only lost one league game this calendar year, and have won nine from thirteen which is just an astonishing record. Mm. And you'd say Forrest will definitely run it close, I think, anyway. Um, Forrest have still got to play Bournemouth as well. And it's on the Tuesday before <laughs> the final day of the season. And that will be a six-pointer, I think. So I'm telling you right now, this is going down to the wire, Justin. It is. And my feelings towards Forrest actually pipping Bournemouth to the line have grown significantly. In the past few days. And I think that will only continue to grow when Bournemouth have got this run of games where you struggle to see them, you know, not dropping points here and there, do you? So mm-hmm. with Forrest being so consistent, I think Steve Cooper's boys will be licking their lips. Though Their eyes will be wide open right now and their eyes will <laughs> be set firmly on the prize. Yeah. Um, Reading significantly strengthened their hopes of staying up after beating Stoke 2-1. Stoke weren't great here. Michael O'Neill pretty much admitted so after the game. Reading were by no means incredible themselves, but a great win for the Royals.
1: Yeah, it's all about grinding out results for Reading. Um, They're playing like a team that is um, fighting relegation. They're playing like a team that is fighting relegation. We're doing it the right way, if that makes sense. They're grinding out points. They're not giving too many chances away. They're keeping games very close. um, Because obviously before before Paul Lintz came in, they, they were they were pretty decent going forwards, but they were so open at the back, it was ridiculous and the amount of goals they conceded this calendar year is, is is quite quite staggering but I've got to take my hat off to Paul Lintz. I've criticised him, I've questioned his ability, ability as a manager but he's got this team playing how they should be in the situation they're in um, and as I say, they weren't easy to break down in this game, they're still creating a decent amount of chances uh, at times and they're being clinical as well. Quite fortunate with both the goals against Stoke, but you need a bit of luck which again is a cliche you need a bit of luck when you're down there and they got that
0: I I'm, I not go as I wouldn't be as hasty to give praise to Paulin's just yet. I I think he deserves a little bit of credit for making them a lot better than the side that was losing week in, week out under Velko Paunovic, but I'm still not completely convinced yeah. by him myself. Um, Jacob Brown did have a massive chance towards the end of the game, which he really should have tucked away. But apart from that, Stoke didn't create much else in the in the way of great chances. The goal came from a good strike by Romain Sawyers. And, um, and speaking of Paul Ince, he said after the game, karma is wonderful because Stoke refused to let Tom Ince play for Reading since he's on loan then. Weird thing to this say. So, so weird. <laughs> 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 oh, but Reading now eight points clear of the bottom three. Barnsley do have a game in hand, but I would personally say that's about it for the relegation battle now. Justin, would you agree?
1: Yeah, again, if, if, if Barnsley win that game in hand and um, Reading Lose a couple on the on the on the trot, and and Barnsley are able to to pick a couple of wins on the trot. Then it swings it open again. But considering Barnsley have only won six games all season, I just can't see that happening. Unfortunately, mm. you you're absolutely
0: right. It's in this kind of situation. It, I, I struggle to see Barnsley just making up that number of points, even though they have improved recently. Even if Reading were to lose pretty much every game for the rest of the season, it's still a struggle to see Barnsley it's making up that points. many points. Into, uh, mm-hmm. well, how many points is it? Eight points from seven games. You've got to win, what, two or three of them? Um, and that's with the caveat that Reading won't win another game for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. And you'd suspect that they will pick up points between now and the end of the season, won't you? So yeah. that's why I think it's pretty much over. So... Um congratulations, Reading, if it is indeed <laughs> over. And at some point, just in um, assuming it is over, we'll have to have a chat about how we think those bottom three teams will actually do in League 1 next season. Stoke got back-to-back wins after they lose to a, far, a side fight in stay-up. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, again, I think this was typical Stoke. Um, just ridiculously inconsistent and, and, and failing to show up for for a game in uh, every like, sort of one in three, it seems, or even one in two. Um, and yeah, as you say, they, they struggle to create chances, which I'm still humming and ahhing as to whether or not Michael O'Neill's right man to take this Stoke team forward because for them to drop to 15th um, this season, even even again with, with injury problems, I think is, is, is really poor because you look at the likes of Coventry, Millwall, they've been able to do it with significantly weaker and smaller squads. So yeah, not 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 a good season for Stoke.
0: Definitely not. Well, the first half was good. Second half, not. Very <laughs> Jekyll and Hyde. Fulham took another step closer to promotion by beating Middlesbrough 1-0. A tight one, this. Middlesbrough might feel they deserved something from it. But, as I say, another step closer to promotion for Fulham.
1: Yeah, with Fulham, it was a difficult game for them. Borough made it incredibly difficult for them. You've got to credit Borough for for doing that. Um, And with Fulham, probably not at their best and not looking sharp, as sharp as they usually do, which I think is to be expected at this stage in this season because there's been a Couple of games where they've just looked a little bit off it, not quite there, but they're still getting points because they've got a lot of quality. Um, And and as I say, one thing you don't do is with this Fulham team is is give them space and time um, because they'll punish you. And that's what happened with the the Mitrovic goal; he was left all alone, and um, it was quite quite an easy header for him uh, to to put them on the look.
0: Yeah, well, you've got to remember, Middlesbrough's home record is astonishing. I think they've won like eight games on the trot at home, so. It was going to be tough for Fulham to actually get something from this game. Um, and it was a game where they had to really grind it out, but they did that. And that gives them another string to their bow when they're back in the Premier League next season. That they could, that they showed that they are willing to grind games out as well as, you know, blasting teams away like they have done on many times mm. this season. So it was a really good win for them. I thought Tim Ream was great at the back as well. Um, Tosin Nadarabaya was really good by his side as well. Fulham can get promoted next weekend's Justin... I th- Think I'm right in saying that,
1: um, but it's just been a matter of when, not if, and so. It? Yeah, it's, that's why it's made it so difficult to talk about them, um, yeah. because we, we've sort of expected this. Maybe since <laughs> since mid January, maybe. Um, but again, it's it, it's it is brilliant. I yeah, just hope they don't take the foot off the gas because there's a lot of a lot of good they can do between now and the end of the season. I think I'd love to see Maturić hit that goal record. I'd love to see them get as close to 100 points as they possibly can. I know they're on 83 at the moment, so they're not. I'm just trying to do the math quickly in my head, which isn't going to go well. They they could get if they win all their games, they could get to 100 over 100 points, which would be fantastic. But it's it's a lot a lot to do. But oh yeah. I don't want to see them take the foot off the gas. I want to see them start to steamroll teams now.
0: I think a certain team in the East Midlands as well, who may be eyeing up the top two, will hope <laughs> that they're not taking the foot off the gas, considering they've got to play Bournemouth in the uh, next few weeks. Uh, what do you think this does to Middlesbrough's playoff chances? I don't think many Middlesbrough fans were heading into this, you know, expecting to cruise past and get three points, but um, it's it's still looking interesting for Middlesbrough, isn't it? Their top six hopes.
1: Yeah, I think it. I think it's actually a game that will probably come away feeling a little bit confident, actually, because of the performance. I thought the performance was really good, and I did think they deserved something from the game. You look at the the final five minutes, for example, Josh Coburn's header, glancing header, was a fantastic chance. just needed a little bit more direction, and that goes in. And then Duncan Watmore... Duncan Watmore's miss I think was a little bit criminal um, considering he had a lot of time um, to probably take a touch and save himself but he blasted it over it as a shot he should have got on target and as well as that Middlesbrough created quite a few decent chances there was just a little bit missing uh, that final bit of quality in the final third which is something that's eluded them for a lot of the season um, but I think they would come away feeling quite confident that they can go again and, 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 and keep putting the pressure on those teams in and around the top six because they've got the qualities to do it. It's just being consistent now, which is the same issue with Sheffield United and possibly even Blackburn.
0: You look at their games they've got remaining, they've got a lot of games against sides who seasons are over, who haven't got anything to play for. And I think that's in Middlesbrough's favour. They've also got the game in hand as well. So there's a lot in Middlesbrough's favour. And I think if I did my top six now, I probably would include them just because of the quality they've got as well so I'd still be very very I'd still be very excited about Middlesbrough's chances of getting in the top six mm. um still got question marks about their away form um, I know they've got the two wins on the bounce but the ones are great against the greatest of sides So we'll have to wait and see whether that's been amended or not. But still looking very, very good for Chris Wilder's boys. Sheffield United bounced back from their loss at the weekend by winning 1-0 against QPR. Ollie Norwood scoring an early goal. I thought this was a must-win game for the Blades after their loss at the weekend. They got the early goal and from that point it never really felt like they were ever going to lose that uh, goal lead, Justin.
1: Yeah, and considering Norwood scored at their ninth minute as well, um, it's quite a bad indictment on QPR, actually. I, I think this was a very comfortable one, nil, where they didn't need to do much to, to win the game. Um, so it's really hard to judge them based on this. But what they did do, they did the, the, the basics really well, which, again, is, is a cliche. And as I say, not needing to do much to win more, nil is, is probably more of an, an indictment on the opposition than, a, than praise for the... Um, praise for the team that wins, but but credit to Sheffield United, they, it was a it was a good goal, it was a well-worked goal, although again you're left wondering what's going on with the marking on the edge of the box, because it's not even something that we'd let go on a Sunday morning um, a man very free on the edge of the box is, is quite quite poor for a um, a championship team um, so yeah, I think as you say, it was a must-win game for Sheffield United, but it's not too much we can take away from this, because the, the opposition just, just weren't up for it
0: No, they QPR just did not lay a glove really on Sheffield United the whole afternoon. Gibbs-White was lively as per usual, um, but it was not Ollie Norwood who was pulling all the strings as well as getting the goal in the middle of the park. He was fantastic. Fleck was really good too. It was just a really comfortable game for Sheffield United who were just more than happy to just soak up everything that QPR threw at them. And the table looks much better for them after it suddenly looked a bit perilous mm-hmm. at the weekend. I think that's fair to say. And um, the table's looking very perilous for QPR now four straight losses and their playoff hopes have fallen away quicker than people's opinion of Matt Letitia. is it over <laughs> for you at this stage Justin
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> that tickled me uh yeah 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 I think yeah uh, I think QPR's playoff hopes are gone um I I do think we're in a territory now. I know I knew I said at the weekend. I think Mark Warburton, um, his job. I think it'd be harsh to sack him, but I think he's in a position now where he's actually fighting for his job. He's got six games to to convince the QPR board that he's the man for next season because this game was was quite terrible. Because if they win that, if they win that, they are they're in the playoff. They are in the playoff running again, and um, because they take points off a playoff rival, even if they, even if they draw, they are still in the running. But considering performance of falling off a cliff, effort levels are. Dropping drastically towards the end they look like they're a team that are on holiday which for a team that are only for a team that's only five points off the top six I think it's really really poor at this stage in the season Yeah you're
0: absolutely right
1: the, when you look at it five points
0: isn't massive is it and that's in usual terms that would be very gettable but because they have their form has pretty much fallen off a cliff there's no other way of putting it is there Um It's dropped like a stone, and that's why I think QPR's chances have gone. Key players injured, Dieng, Willock, we've mentioned millions of Mm -hmm. times, players out of form, Chair. I mean, Andre Gray looked completely hopeless against Sheffield United. I feel a bit sorry for him at this point. Um, It's a struggle now seeing QPR do that, and I think Mark Warburton is just fighting for his job because this loss doesn't help with the campaign for him to keep his job at all, does it? And (laughs) the longer this losing run continues, it's only going to get worse and worse so I think that's all what Mark Warburton and QPR are fighting for at this stage of the season do the QPR players want him to stay in the job next season and if so they've got to pull the fingers out haven't they right Justin let's have a a quick break after that we'll talk about a 1-0 win for Swansea and a 1-0 win for Preston in the West Lancashire Derby Welcome back to the second tier podcast. Millwall's hopes of a top six finish took a big blow after they lost 1-0 at home to Swansea. A bit of a surprise result, I suppose, Justin. Millwall had gone seven games unbeaten at home prior to this, but Swansea were good value for the win, I thought.
1: Yeah, it was, it was a really good performance from Swansea and, and, and one that convinces me a lot about Russell Martin and, and where this team's going. Um, under him, but as you say, for Millwall it, it was a, I mean we've said before it's, it's a must win game for, for Millwall every game if they've got ambitions of finishing in the top six, but I think the last couple of performances probably probably make you feel like they're just running out of steam um, and they, they weren't quite enough to break down. A, a good Swansea team who are very good at keeping the ball, they are a defensively decent team as well, um, mainly because they keep the ball. Um, and it was, it was always going to be one of them games where Millwall spend long periods without the ball um but for, for them to concede the amount of chances they did, um and ultimately not to lay too much of a glove on um on on, on Fisher in the Swansea goal, then yeah, you're probably probably right in saying that Milt will probably just run out of steam.
0: Yeah, defensively, Swansea were excellent. There was that one chance at the end where Benic had it, but otherwise they restricted Millwall to half chances and Cal Norton in particular was really, really good. Um, Joel Piro got the goal, nicely taken as well. 17 goals for the season now. And I tell you what, Justin, if we look back on the season, he he's one player I got completely wrong. His, his goal records before he joined Swansea wasn't anything to shout about, but he has been actually class, hasn't he?
1: He's a clinical finisher as well. I think the amount of chances that Swansea create, isn't that high. They don't create a regular amount of chances. So for Joel Pirro to hit 17 just shows that his finishing ability is actually pretty good. Um and he's a player that I've liked the look of contrary to you. Um I, I think he's 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 a he's a very good poacher. I'd like to see him a little bit more around his game, but I think his him playing in behind Michael Iberfemi gives a lot of teams something different to 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 worry about, because the Aboufemi is one of them forwards that is he's, he's, he's going to play the channels a little bit more than Piro. He's going to play the channels better than Piro, so they're going to complement each other um, quite nicely. Um, so yeah, I, I got high hopes for Piro. One million pounds from I can't remember which which club it was now. Anyway, SV, I think. yeah, um, I had a feeling it might be Utrecht, but I don't don't think it was. Um, but nonetheless. It, Yeah, came from the Leverlands, but nonetheless, it was, again, a bargain signing for for, for Swansea and gives you high hopes for for next season if they get the recruitment right once again.
0: Yeah, well, it's interesting that he's been asked to drop deeper recently, Mm -hmm. but he's done it brilliantly hasn't he still picking up goals on a regular basis and I think him being asked to drop deeper recently shows a lot of the qualities that uh not other strikers have the fact that mm-hmm. he is capable of hitting it from distance he can link up the play brilliantly as well and he can get around and be a nuisance physically too so I think he's got so many different positives and he's a, he is an all-round striker really isn't he he's yeah. not many Negatives you can really pick with his game and considering he's only 22 as well it wouldn't surprise me if there is a bit of interest in him because he has had such a good season but Swansea will be hoping to keep hold of him next season I hope they keep hold of him as well Um, because if they have him um, up front next season with Obafemi again they'll be a really difficult team to keep hold of especially now that Russell Martin's got that extra season under his belt and Swansea looking suddenly very good Um, We were saying earlier that QPR's playoff hopes are virtually over Millwall are a point behind them They've got an extremely kind run of games, though. Where do you sit with them?
1: I'd probably, I would probably say the playoff hopes are, are over at this point, mainly because, as I say, the last three games, they, it just looks like they've, they've just run out of steam a little bit. They couldn't quite get over the line against Luton, couldn't quite create a decent opening here against Swansea either. So I think that their playoff hopes are done. Probably leaves them at a bit of a crossroads in the summer as well because there's some good players out of contract. There are question marks as to whether or not should they sell Jake Cooper to raise funds to invest in the squad Benny is going back to Stoke so they're going to face a little bit of a rejig um, in the summer but for now I think yeah, the playoffs are very much unlikely very slim very slim hopes I think they were slim anyway weren't they their hopes yeah. they'd have to go on a
0: wicked winning run of games between now and the end of the season um, and it's difficult to see happening um, and again they'd have to still do it but considering they've only won one in six now. Mm. I think that is probably about it for their hopes, unless they do go on this ridiculous winning run between now and the end of the season, because the teams above them are just so consistent. And it's a difficult thing to see that any of them particularly dropping points now so yeah I'd say that's it unless Mill pulls something completely miraculous out the bag now but considering their recent form I struggle to see that happening. The West Lancashire derby between Preston and Blackpool finished 1-0 to North End thanks to a goal from Cameron Archer baby. Neil critically after the game said he thought his side deserved to win it. I think just about everyone I've seen who watched this game completely disagrees with him. Um, I suppose this is the perfect example of form not meaning anything in a derby just Stin.
1: Yeah, spot on. Um Yeah, Blackpool, Blackpool going into it in the, in the better run of form than, than Preston. I think um, Preston didn't actually see that performance coming, uh, be, given how poor they were against Derby at the weekend. Um, so yeah, credit to Preston for going. And I think the, the key to that win was was uh, Jakobsen and Archer up front because they were so effective, really good, energetic uh, partnership, um, and they linked up for the goal as well. And as I say, it was a completely different performance to the one we saw from, from Saturday in a, a really good uh, view of what we can expect from, from Preston under Ryan Lowe going forwards. Really good foundation set by him and a really decent game of football in, in what derbies are usually pretty poor. So really, really pleased to see a, a different different side to one here.
0: Yeah. And these are two sides I'm feeling quite hopeful for next season. Just mm-hmm. I think Neil Critchley is a fantastic manager at this level. And if he continues the project that he started at Blackpool, then they're only going to get better and better, especially with a season under their belts. And I, I think they'll improve or at least... Um, do the similar season again that they've had now. And then Preston under Ryan, Lowe once he gets a full season in charge and has a summer to bring in the players that he wants, I think they'll be looking really good next season as well. So, um, two sides I'm feeling positive about. There are plenty of sides around the mid table region who I'm not feeling as positive about. Um, and considering sides above them as well are losing players, you'd have thought both can take this season as a building block towards greater things next season. Worth mentioning, Blackpool goalkeeper Daniel Grimshaw is awake and responding after a horrible collision in this game on Twitter. He thanked people for all the messages of support and says he'll be back as soon as possible. And then the final game for midweek, Justin, um, was Luton and Peterborough. A late goal from Johnson Clark Harris saw Peterborough draw one all at home. Luton went ahead just after half-time, but despite Peterborough going a goal behind, they'll probably be coming out of it thinking they could have very well had all three points.
1: Yeah, it's a really good performance from Peterborough. Um, I don't. I, I, the tone of my voice sounded quite surprising, quite uh, quite belittling. But it, it, it was one again you expect Luton to, to tr- especially in the, the way they're going at the moment and where they are in the table, you're expecting to sweep side. But absolutely fantastic performance from Peterborough. Create a lot of chances. Um, and one, they 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 coming away from the game and thinking, especially if they they go away and lose one nil, you're thinking how how on earth have we lost that? And but again, they're probably coming away and thinking how on earth have we drawn that because they were they were great. Um, Clark Harris hit the woodwork. Um there there's a lot of productivity down the flanks, which was great to see in this in this um three at the back, which is quite surprising given that Grant McCann tried to stay away from that three at the back for as long as possible under Hull, but it seems to get him results very well. Um yeah, a really good performance and one that should um, should yeah, make you feel a little bit happier as a Peterborough fan going into next season. Well it's amazed me how much better Peterborough have looked under Grant McCann than they
0: did under yeah. Dan Ferguson. It's perhaps not translated into a stunning run of results but they look so much more competitive and when you watch them they look like much more of a unit than they did exactly. under Dan Ferguson. Before you had their best players who didn't look like they knew what they were doing and also a bit demotivated but they suddenly look completely different. Johnson Clark Arias is the obvious one. Mm-hmm. Hasn't had the season many were expecting but you are starting to see glimpses of the player from last season. Hopefully that form continues into next season where he could be a really deadly player. Joe Ward's been excellent on the right. Um, young Ronnie Edwards has been good at the back. I've had a few question marks over him at the season at the, over the course of the season, whether it may be a bit too soon for him, but recently he's looked really good. So there's definitely mm-hmm. been green shoots for, for this posh side. And I reckon they're heading back to League One in pretty good stead for going straight back up. It'll be difficult because there's some big sides down there with bigger budgets than Peterborough, but Grant McCann's shown that he can do it before with Hull. Yep. I see no reason why he can't do it again with this Peterborough side, as long as they manage to keep uh, the main body of the side together. And just finally, Justin Luton, would you say this is drop points for them?
1: Uh, uh Yeah, I mean, considering where Peterborough are poor they have been at times this season, yes, but that's probably not the whole context of, of of where Peterborough are at the moment. So, um, I think he, I think it, it will be drop points. So going one, they up away from home. You want to see the game out. So, conceding a late goal, it's a kick in the teeth and a, and a punch in their gut for, for Nathan Jones and one that he will try and set right at the weekend. So, yeah, it's something that they'll need to address because the last two games they've opened up a little bit, which is a bit of a concern uh, about this stage in the season. But hopefully, get sorted at the weekend. Well last two games,
0: two draws, not the worst of results, but other teams have managed to grab ground on them, haven't they? And Mm -hmm. Before, it was looking like Luton may have had enough of a cushion to stay in the playoffs. Now you're looking at it thinking, "Mm, it's a bit open again, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Right, Justin, now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news, and we'll start off with Derby County. And finally finally after months in fact there's been takeover talk for about a half a year a year and a half hasn't there at this Mm -hmm. point so after a year and a half derby looks set to be finally taken over american businessman chris kirchner has been named as the preferred bidder for the club he was interested in buying derby around the time they initially went into administration but then he decided he wasn't anymore and he was looking at preston apparently, instead, but he's in through the back door and looks as if he's going to be the saviour of Derby County. Justin, are you delighted that this saga might finally be coming to a close? I,
1: I'm, not deli- I'm not delighted. Uh, it's, just, it's a bit of a buzzkill moment oh, after that big build-up. Um, I'm, I'm very happy uh, and relieved that there's potential light at the end of the tunnel, but there's still a long way to go for for Kirchner and, and Derby. Um, because although he's been named preferred bidder, there's not a guarantee that he's gonna go through the takeover because of a lot of different variables and there are still a lot of hurdles for for Darby to, to to jump over.
0: It's interesting because I remember when Kirchner was initially interested in Derby and there was a lot of talk about how much he's actually worth and there were very varying reports mm-hmm. about that. So how much money has he got to pump into the club in terms of you know transfers, wages, keeping the club running and obviously he's got to go across a lot of hurdles with various debts and creditors that Derby owe a lot of money to. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that's all handled when you have someone who's obviously on the sidelines like Mike Ashley, for example, Mm -hmm. who we all know has a lot of money, has a lot of experience with, you know, putting those creditors to rest. Um, Kirchner must have had a lot of talk and was able to back it up. Um, so what his actual plans are, I'd be very interested to see whether we actually find out anytime soon. I'm doubtful. Um, but I think every Derby fan will just be delighted that the future of the club is looking a lot more secure, because that was the only problem. And now Derby can look to a nice future with Chris Kirchner. Moving on, Derby's prospective owner Chris Kirchner has admitted some of his old tweets were, quote, not suitable content. The posts were homophobic and transphobic. A spokesperson says he was quoting song lyrics and movie quotes. Good start, Justin.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's it's a bit of a joke. It's really disappointing for that to uh, become apparent, and I hope that, obviously, he's he's apologised, but I think if TakeOver was to go through, there's still a lot of apologising that needs to be done. Um, but I, I don't think there's there's any point in in vilifying him for it. Again, they are historic tweets, so it's a case of apologise, learn from it, uh, and move on. Because I think Sam Jordan made a very good point on on Talksport the other day about it, and um, the fact that if you live in a society that can't forgive and move on, then there's not much point in in, in doing anything. Um, and you, you do have to sort of put that perspective on on Chris Kirchner. They, they are very old tweets. He's grown as a person, you think, um, but unless he comes out and says something quite direct, and it's quite hard to, to judge him. Um, but as I say, really disappointing to, to, to see those tweets. It's very hard to, to summarize it, other than saying, "I wish he never said that." It's, it's not a good look for him um, or, or the football club. But as I say, he's got to he's got to learn from it and commit to being a better person. I guess. Mm. Well, he said he was quoting song lyrics and movie mm, quotes.
0: Yeah. One of those tweets, which I'm not going to broadcast. I've had a search for it. Can't find any song lyrics or movie yeah. quotes which match it. So either he's listening to or watching some very obscure songs or <laughs> movies, or someone's telling fibs. I'm not too sure, but we'll move <laughs> on. TalkSport says Mike Ashley still has a strong interest in buying Derby. I'm not sure how the whole process would work from this point, but considering they've named the preferred bidder, I suppose... You're relying on Chris Kirchner actually dropping out at this point as opposed to, you know, Mike Ashley offering another offer or something like that. I don't really know. Anyway, let's move on. The Telegraph says Cardiff City have received three expressions of takeover interest from potential investors. They're said to be convinced that Vincent Tan is set to offload the club. But Wales Online says despite the reports, Tan is... Uh, still committed to the Bluebirds. I wouldn't be surprised, Justin. They're reportedly losing nearly £2 million a month. And I think if I was in Vincent Tan's position, I'd be looking to get rid as well. But want to monitor that one. The BBC mm-hmm. says no decision has been made yet on the long-term future of Barnsley manager Poya Asbargi. The club CEO Khalid el Ahmad, says everyone at the club is under review. Would you personally stick with Asbargi for League One, Justin?
1: I think it'd be harsh to to sack him because he has turned around the team, although it's taken a long time to do it. Um, I think if he is sacked, there's a lot of question marks about the football club in general. Um, and a lot of the issues that have stemmed this season have come from a lack of um, progression uh, within the football club. Uh, the signings were poor, as Carlo um, van der Watering alluded to at the weekend from the Reds report. Um, so... But yeah, there's a, there's a lot of issues that need ironing out at Barnsley before the manager gets called into question, is what I'm trying to say. And
0: finally, in transfer news, West Brom is said to face competition from Premier League clubs in Derby captain Tom Lawrence. The winger is out of contract in the summer, with Brighton and Norwich apparently sniffing around him, according to Football League World. Uh, Justin, now it's time for this. All right, all right, settle down you lot. It's time for the Craig Bryson pub quiz. Indeed it is, Mr. Bartender. This is the game where Justin and I try to guess a mystery championship legend this week. It's Justin's turn to give me six clues on a player who's made at least 200 championship appearances. I've just got to guess who it is. The score for the season is 13-11 to myself. We already know Justin Peach can't win for the season at this point. He's playing for a draw, but that will be impossible if I get this correct. So that's right, ladies and gentlemen. If I get this correct, I have won the Craig Bryson pub quiz for 2021-2022, a potentially historic moment in second-tier history. So, Justin, I'm prepped. I'm ready. I've done my warm-up. And now I've had a look at all the Wikipedias of various obscure championship players. I feel like (laughs) I'm ready to do this and have my crown. So can I have
1: the first clue, please? I am going to make it very very difficult for you. I'm at a point where I've got the ball at my feet and I'm running it into the corner right now. Um like that I'm in mean, that sort of scenario. But the first clue is I made two hundred and forty eight appearances scoring fifty five goals. So one
0: in five. Hmm. I will go with Marek Saganowski.
1: Marek Saganowski. It's not him but oh what a player. I started my career at Watford where I played in three different divisions for them.
0: Okay, that's interesting, isn't it? I will go with
1: Steve Cabber. (laughs) That's a great shout It's not Steve Cabber. (laughs) That's actually a really good shout. Thank you. (laughs) I played just three games in the Premier League for Watford after Paul Butler injured my knee, where I then developed arthritis in both knees. doesn't help me. does not help me at all. Um... Heide Helgerson. It is not Heide Helgerson. I also played for Stoke and Burnley. Hmm, okay.
0: I haven't had any years at this point, so it's not really helping too I'm much. Kept, kept that
1: very vague,
0: yeah. Great, thanks, Justin. But considering
1: so, that he played in Watford for three different divisions, when was the last time they were in the second division?
0: A long time ago. A
1: long time ago.
0: Stoke and Burnley. I, I'm that is ringing a bell. A striker who played for those three. But I'm going to have to have more. I've, I've got two left after this. haven't I? You do, yeah. In that case, I'll throw another name out there. Adiakimbae. It is not
1: Adiakimbae.
0: No, I know he played for Stoke and Burnley. Not sure who he played for before that.
1: Everybody else, Adiakimbae. Yep. I had a two-year spell in Spain for Real Murcia and Elche. Did he really? He did. He did, and I remember this. I have no clue whatsoever right now. Hameo Baraza. It is not Hameo Baraza. See, I remember this player because he saw him on FM a lot because it was very cheap while he was on his spell in Spain, which gives you an indication that his career. Might have been starting to wind down a little bit. So here's the next clue. My career started to wind down after that as I moved to the US, playing for Austin Aztecs, and DFW Tornadoes. I have no idea who this player is.
0: At no point have I even had an inkling who this player is. Is it? I don't think it is. Because I don't recall him playing for any of these clubs. But is it Danny Dickio?
1: See, you were on the right lines with the likes of Steve Cabot and then and Akinbahi. You were close. It is not Danny Dicchio. Go on. It is Gifton Noel Williams.
0: I would have never got that in a million years. You, were,
1: uh, you were so close because Gifton Noel, never... Gift Noel Williams was <laughs> and Akinbahi's strike partner at both Stoke and Burnley.
0: Would have never got that in a million years. Gift of Noel Williams' career has completely passed me by. You are going... When you say you're taking it to the corner, you are proper taking it to the corner at this point because that is obscure.
1: 248 appearances
0: 55 goals. He's got to be the most obscure player we've had this season. No, no, no. no, Easy, easy. No, no, no. no. So there we go, ladies and gentlemen. Still 13-11 to myself for the season. At this point, Justin has got to win pretty much every time and I've got to lose every single time for him to actually draw Um, but he's I I see how he's doing it he's he's going up skill for now in the end of the season Uh, he's showing his hand now so uh, we'll see how I (laughs) respond next week but this has been the second tier podcast ladies and gentlemen thank you for listening wherever you are this has been the midweek round of games for the championship we'll be back again on Sunday to talk about the weekend's games and still plenty to play for at both ends of the championship well maybe not the bottom end of the championship at this (laughs) point anymore but uh, we'll uh, be back on Sunday to go through all the games as we have more twists and turns in the remainder of the championship season so we look forward to seeing you on Sunday this has been the Second Tier Podcast I've been Ryan Dilks I've been Justin Peach thank you for listening